let's jump in. Last week, we started a new series, kind of a, a series within a series, because for the last couple of months, we've been uh, having this theme of prayer in the way of Jesus. But last week, we started um, a journey for six weeks up until Christmas during the season of Advent. Officially, Advent starts next week. Um, but so this is kind of pre-Advent into Advent, this series on the Lord's Prayer. And last week, we started looking at the Lord's Prayer, and I asked us at the end of uh, last week's message if for the next six weeks, we would, as a practice, as a community uh, practice, reciting and praying the Lord's Prayer uh, on our own throughout the week, and uh, a prayer that if you don't know it already or haven't memorized it yet or aren't familiar with it, uh, so vital that I would encourage you. Last week, we, we ended with two ways to engage this prayer. One is to recite it, and one is to use it as a template. And the practice we've invited you to do is, is both of those things. One, to take the Lord's Prayer and pray it every day as many times a day as you'd like and, le- and get into the prayer, all right? The other way is as a template where we take the themes of this prayer and, and swim deeply in them. So last week, as we talked about the first line, our Father in heaven, your name be hallowed, the invitation is that every day throughout the day, we almost on the tip of our lips just whisper that, the, that part of the prayer. Our Father in heaven, your name be hallowed, and, um, and to be able to just go deeper in that theme. And so, as we're, how did that practice go? Anybody been practicing that? Yeah? Okay, a couple of people, any honest people that just, that just I'm sorry I didn't do it. But, but the, really, I really want to encourage us to do that. It's one of the most simplest things we can do. If, if any of us feel that that's too challenging, then we really need to, like, I don't know how, how much lower the bar we can raise for it to kind of just, so I, I think it's very simple, but the impact will be huge. And uh, whether you've been praying for years or deep into prayer or just starting into prayer, uh, we want to be jumping into this prayer significantly as a church community. So we're going to start with it again. You ready? Let's stand. We're going to pray together. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, as we set ourselves standing on this prayer right now, we just invite you to lead us and guide us and speak to us. Grab our attention, God. And as this prayer is so accessible, it's also so deep. And so thank you that we can simply engage with it, and yet we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to swim deeply in it as well. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. When I was eight years old, I think it was around 1983, so I'm kind of dating myself. You can do the math and find out how old I am. My family moved from Toronto to Montreal, and we drove up into a cold, dark city in early January, and uh, in my dad's uh, Cutlass Supreme Oldsmobile black four-door, uh, that's what he was driving at the time. And so uh, we're driving into this cold city, and my dad had purchased a house in Laval, and that's where we were going to live. He had moved and came out of the business world and became a pastor here in Montreal. And so my, my twin brother and I, we were turning eight, and I had a, an older sister who had moved with us. My older brother stayed in Toronto. And I remember, uh, you know, coming to this house I've never seen before on, in a city I've never been to before, uh, and off the island of the city that I've never been to before. 
before, Laval, in a place called Duvernay, and we walked into an empty house, completely empty, and we set up shop in what would have become my parents' bedroom, so all of us slept on the floor that evening and for a couple of evenings until our furniture came. And my twin brother, uh, whose name is Jonathan, he cried like crazy for weeks. He hated being in Montreal. He hated being away from Toronto. He felt homesick like crazy. My grandparents were still in, 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 uh, in Toronto, and he missed them so much. And my older brother, he stayed back to continue school. And he, so my twin brother cried for days and weeks, just unsettled. I didn't cry. I don't know why. I mean, it was like, forget Toronto at eight years old. I don't know what I was talking about. But funny thing today is he moved back to Ontario, and I'm still in Montreal. So we charted our path at the age of eight. I don't know. That's kind of interesting how that happened. But there was this ache in my brother's heart, I guess, for what he longed for, what he believed to be home, what he believed to be good, what he believed to be right. And he wanted to feel like home, and he wanted the way of life that he loved and longed for, the way he felt it was supposed to be. He wanted to feel that in Montreal. And the first few weeks, obviously, he wasn't. And I want to just keep that image for a second because as we slowly walk through the Lord's Prayer, we're going to notice something that as we pray this prayer and get into this prayer, there's a longing, there's a longing for what happens in God's home, in God's space. Well, we talked about heaven last week, that heaven isn't far away. Heaven is God's realm, God's space. It's as close as a breath when we say our Father in heaven. This longing for what happens in God's space to take place in our own space. This ache in our hearts for what God desires, for what happens in his realm to take place in our home, for what home is meant to be like. So as we pray, our Father in heaven, your name be hallowed, we're establishing this priority that we have a heavenly Father, that, that we're part of his, his family. And Jesus invites us to pray with him to his heavenly Father. We pray, he's inviting us to pray to God the Father together, this close, deep relationship. And we noticed last week that this prayer, the first couple of verses, have a strong um, uh, rootedness in its priority. Your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Before we even say, God, would you give us some daily bread? God, would you you know, lead us away from temptation. Before we even interject ourselves and our needs into the prayer, the priority of the prayer helps us posture ourselves in a way where we set our priorities straight. In the first one last week, we looked at relationship and reverence, the relationship we have with God the Father, and the reverences we have as we petition his name to be made holy. But as we go to this next your line, your kingdom come, your will be done, the, the petition changes a little bit. And it moves away from relationship and reverence. And we begin to pray for God to change us and to change things around us in significant ways. In fact, I would say, and I said this last week and I'll say it again later today, we're, as we pray this, we're really praying for a revolution. We're praying for a revolution in our hearts and a revolution for what's around us. And we come to this second line of the prayer. And I want us to say it together. Can we just say this line together? Your kingdom come... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's one of the most revolutionary phrases you can say or I can say. That's one of the most revolutionary prayers you can make. And it's such an interesting petition. It is a petition. We are petitioning God when we say your name be hallowed or your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, depending what you think God's kingdom is about will influence what your hopes are when you pray this prayer. 
Because if your hope, if you're, if you're thinking, well, God's kingdom is my happiness, God's kingdom is my prosperity, God's kingdom is the gifts I want, God's kingdom is, you know, whatever I hope for. God's kingdom is my future eternity. Whatever you imagine God's kingdom to be, when you pray this prayer, you're going to pray with that lens. You will. And some of the things I mentioned aren't necessarily out of God's kingdom, but some of them are more our things than that we're hoping for in our culture. But when we say the word kingdom, we got to understand something as we set, kind of like create a lens as we pray this prayer. Because when we say the word kingdom, we are saying, the word kingdom means a complete way of living for a society of people. Now, we don't live in a kingdom in Canada, even though we're connected in our parliamentary system to England. Uh, And most Western countries don't have a kingdom in place. But when Jesus used the word kingdom, he meant what you think it means. The movies you've seen about kingdoms. The story of like, or Sir Lancelot, or the Lord of the Rings type of movies, or these. When you, when we say the word kingdom, when Jesus used it, he meant what we think it means, like a monarch and a king or a queen with a society that kind of follows suit with that. So right now, the rage today, like one of the most popular shows on Netflix, is The Crown. It's following kind of the life of Queen Elizabeth, and people are loving to watch that. I love this actor who played Queen Elizabeth in the first two seasons because she looks like my mom when she was younger. So when I see her, I'm like, oh my gosh, here's my mother. I could have been in royalty. But obviously I was born out of royalty. Uh, But when when you watch that or when you kind of track with this, there's something about a monarch. There's something about a kingdom. There's a way that the kingdom leads. There's a way that the king and queen and the establishment leads. It's, It's a way of life. Now, it's their way of life, or it's their kingdom, and there's other kingdoms, official monarchs in the world, and they lead in their way. But Jesus said something when he came to earth, the gospel writer in Mark tells us that his gospel announcement, his good news announcement was this, and it's in Mark 1.15. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Look at the words Jesus uses. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. On a side note, this is actually good news. So many times in evangelical circles, we only say the good news is coming to know Jesus and maybe getting to heaven. No, this is good news, that the kingdom of God was coming near, was breaking into our world. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. And he says, repent and believe this good news, because when the kingdom comes, if it is a kingdom with good news, you're like, I'm going to turn and be part of this kingdom. I want to turn and, and, and grow with this kingdom. I want to be immersed in this kingdom and turn towards this new way of life that reflects God's kingdom, God's heart. And the New Testament writers help us understand that when Jesus came to earth, and we sang about it actually today in one of our worship songs, you know, heaven came down. That's Jesus saying the kingdom of God has come near. And we can easily say the kingdom of heaven. Jesus brought God's kingdom near to us. God's kingdom broke into our world with Jesus. And in some sense, God became king when Jesus comes to earth. As we worship King Jesus. Today's actually Christ the King Day on on the church calendar. Now, if you've, if you've read or seen some of the Chronicle of Narnia books, and the popular one is, is um, you know, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, life in Narnia is established off by kingdoms. And here's 
two different kingdoms that were happening in Narnia. One is the, the, the white witch. And under her rule, under her kingdom way, Narnia was cold. And Narnia was tough. And Narnia was, was you know, there was, it was a difficult place to be under her rule. In fact, everything was white. Everything was cold. Everything was freezing. But as, as, as Aslan, who's kind of portrayed there as the Christ figure in this story, as Aslan comes, as Aslan becomes and comes and his influence starts to break in and the kingdom of Aslan breaks in, snow starts to melt. The ice starts to drop. Flowers start to bud. Trees start to grow. Fruit starts to grow. People start to flourish. There's something about a kingdom that reflects the king, or in this case, also the queen with the wicked witch. Life begins to look more and more like Aslan as Aslan rules and reigns, as his kingdom breaks in. And so we have to understand that when we say the word kingdom, we are talking about the king's rule. One of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, says that the kingdom of God, he defines it this way, is God's range of his effective will. That the kingdom of God, or when we say, what is God, God's kingdom? God's kingdom is God's range of his effective will. In other words, whatever God wants, whatever God desires, whatever God envisions, his effective will, that is what reflects his kingdom. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying for the range of God's effective will to be present among us. Now, the interesting thing is when we pray this prayer, even when Jesus taught his disciples to pray this prayer, they lived between two advents. They lived between the first advent or the first coming of Jesus, where Jesus came into the world and God's kingdom broke into the world. But as Jesus teaches them to pray this prayer, they also pray in anticipation of the second advent, of the second coming of Jesus, of the fullness of God's kingdom. So they're pray Jesus teaches them to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And, he, and as they're learning to pray this prayer, they're praying this knowing that in some sense God's kingdom is already broken into the world. And in some sense, the fullness of God's kingdom has not fully taken over. And they pray right in between. And we too, we still pray in between those two advents. So when we're invited to pray this prayer between these both Advents, what we're saying is God's kingdom is already broken into our world, and I see glimpses of it. I even experienced part of it in my heart and my life. But I know it's not yet. I know it hasn't fully taken reign yet. And one day in God's new creation, we will see the fullness of the reign of God's kingdom. It's so important to understand as we pray this prayer that we prayed in between two Advents. And as we pray this prayer, I want us to know what we're asking for. Because like I said, whatever your image of God's kingdom is, that's what you think you're praying for, right? If your image of God's kingdom is, God, you got to fix my car and I need, you know, I need this kind of car. If that's your vision of God's kingdom, whenever you say your kingdom come, you're, you have, you, you're, you're dreaming of your decked out Mercedes, right? That's what you're dreaming of. You're like, kingdom come, Mercedes in my driveway, right? That's, that, that's probably what you're thinking, so I want us to know, like, what is the kingdom of God? What does it look like? What did Jesus show us? And, and I'm not going to do an extensive sketch of this, but there's a couple of passages we could read, and, and, and uh, I want you to end up reading them more on your own, but I'll sketch them out a little bit today. And here's a few places you can find them. So here's one, which is Matthew 5-7, to where the Lord's Prayer comes right in the middle of, right, between 
uh, at the end of verse 52, and then about 40, 48 verses before the end of this chapter, we have the Lord's Prayer. By the way, it's cool that someone's taking a picture of this. Do you know that we post this every week on our podcast? Like, you can get all the slides. Anyways, that was just a little blurb. You can. You can just, you can get all the slides uh, every week. So, so uh, here, Matthew 5 to 7, one of the most popular teachings of Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. He starts off with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness because they will be filled. Blessed are the peacemakers. As Jesus says these incredible statements, what he's saying to the crowds that are listening is, is you who feel like you're poor in spirit and hungry, and you who are peacemakers, and you who are thirsty, and you who are meek, the kingdom is for you. The kingdom of God is for you. This is the kind of kingdom, and you can be part of this. And as Jesus then continues in the Sermon on the Mount, as you read it, he says some incredible things. He says, you know, before it said, do not kill, do not murder. I'm going to tell you something even stronger. Don't even have anger in your hearts. In my kingdom, in other words, we want to deal with the root of anger. You know, in the law, it said, don't commit adultery. I want to say, in my kingdom, let's deal with the root of lust. He says that, you know, you might want to say like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, because in the, in the Old Testament, I mean, God prevented people from going past an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, because people said, you break my legs, I'm going to break seven of your legs, right? That's kind of what the Old Testament was like before. And, and the, God brings in this, this law, he's like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you know, whatever's broken, just break, you know, one leg, one leg. Jesus is like, no, 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 in my kingdom, pray for your enemies, love your enemies, Go beyond that. As Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving us a, an image of what his kingdom is meant to be like. Luke 15, when he tells the story of the prodigal son, and uh, as he tells the story of the prodigal son, he, he tells the, this, this story of, of a father whose son, whose younger son just says, I want half of the wealth and I want to take off and, and leave. And so the son leaves and then the son figures out that he's messed up by himself and he squandered all the wealth and he comes back to the father and the father's waiting for him with open arms and the son comes and they embrace. The father lets him back into his household. Jesus in some way is saying that the kingdom is about us hanging out with the outcasts and us welcoming those who are lost back home and us giving mercy even when culturally and sometimes even rationally it feels like we shouldn't luke chapter 4 when jesus opens the scroll of isaiah in the temple and he starts to read he starts to read that 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 in god's kingdom in a sense the 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 prisoner will be freed and the oppressed will be served and the hungry will be fed and the, the the blind will be given sight and then jesus closes the scroll and says I have, like, this, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm going to bring this. This is part of my kingdom. I love the story of the Good Samaritan when people are asking, what does it mean to be a neighbor when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself? And they say, well, what do you mean, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this story of a Samaritan who's not a Jew, who's not a religious leader, is walking down from Jericho and sees someone hurt on the other side of the road and walks across the road when, when the rabbi stopped, when the, uh, didn't stop, when the religious leader didn't stop, when nobody stopped, but this guy walks across the road and feeds him and nurtures him and cleans him and helps him with a place to stay for the evening and so he can get well. And Jesus says, this is what it means to be a neighbor. This is, what it, this is the kind of kingdom that I want to bring. 
This is the kind of kingdom that, that I reign in and rule. And you can read the parables, and they'll say some amazing things about the kingdom. So I'd encourage you to read these things. Because it comes down to this petition. When we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, what are we praying for? We're praying for how Jesus described the kingdom and demonstrated the kingdom. But I have to ask the question, when we pray this prayer, sometimes we think it's like otherworldly. And I have to ask the question, where do we think this is going to happen? Where do we think Jesus wants like, this prayer to be answered? Because so many people have read this prayer and said, well, this is just spiritual. It's just mystical. It's just something in my heart or something in the future. But Jesus says something in this prayer, and the second line is so vital. He doesn't say, your kingdom come, your will be done one day in the future. He doesn't say, your kingdom come, your will be done only in your heart. He doesn't say, your kingdom come, your will be done when you're praying and you feel God's presence. No, he says, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. And see, even Christians sometimes like to scratch off the word earth because we like to describe Christianity as some overly spiritual religion or faith that just helps us with a relationship with God and maybe a ticket for eternity. But Christianity is one of the most earthy, on-the-ground faiths in the world. And Jesus shows us this when he says, when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, we are praying that this would happen on earth as it is in heaven. And it prevents us from thinking that God's kingdom is just some invisible force, is just something inside the human heart, is just something about our eternal future. And it disrupts any kind of Christianity or spirituality that is confined to being otherworldly. It really disrupts that. And if you felt that, and if, if, you've, if you've seen your faith as just an inside-your-heart thing or a future promise, then this verse messes you up. It messes all of us up. Because he says, on earth as it is in heaven. That's tangible. That's real. That's an earthy spirituality. That's an earthy faith. That's an embodied faith. That's a here-and-now faith. It's not just a in-the-future faith or in-my-heart faith. And... and uh, one of the ways I've, I've, that reminded me of this, of all things, is this new nostalgia with Mr. Rogers. Has anybody seen the new nostalgia with Mr. Rogers? Now, if you're younger, you have no clue who this person on the screen is. You're like, I've never seen this person. You're going to have to YouTube them or Google them and say, who's Fred Rogers? But Fred Rogers uh, actually had a call to ministry at a young age. And uh, his parents and family tried to convince him out of going into TV to stay in official ministry within the church. And he felt a call to kids. He felt a call to, to reach kids and encourage kids. And so he started a show on television in the late 60s that lasted three decades, 30 years. And Fred Rogers uh, is an incredible uh, person. He passed away several years ago, but the nostalgia's back, and there's a new movie coming out in a couple of weeks starring Tom Hanks, and there's a documentary out, and there's, everybody's like, who is Fred Rogers? They're all freaking out about him now. And they're all saying, we wish he was around today. We wish we would hear his voice in the middle of our cultural moment. Because he did things that not many people would do. The, 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 the weekend after Bobby Kennedy in the States was an attempted assassination, he had a televised evening special on Prime TV to help kids process their feelings about an elected official with an attempted assassination. And he talked right into the kids' hearts and lives and the families' lives. 
Well, what he did, interestingly, on this show, and you see him right in front of him, he has his make-believe neighborhood. And so every day he would, and I wore a cardigan on purpose this morning, just to be like Mr. Rogers. He'd take off his coat and then he'd put on a new cardigan, take it out of the closet, and he'd, he'd get into his living room. But then eventually the show would, would transition into this make-believe neighborhood that would kind of get in through, through a little train that he had in his, in, on the set. And so in this make-believe neighborhood, there was relationships and people and, and pe- career people and people who were at home and this and that and all this kind of stuff and different ages And he would invite kids into this make-believe neighborhood. And in this neighborhood, he demonstrated what it meant to be a neighbor. And he showed love and generosity and care and compassion and honesty and strength and kindness and courage. And his hope was this. His hope was that kids would see what happened in this neighborhood and live it out in their neighborhoods. His hope was that parents would see what was happening in this neighborhood and they would live it out in their neighborhoods. And his vision, his heart was that people who would see this and kind of metaphorically go into this make-believe neighborhood would say, imagine our world was like this. Imagine my neighborhood was like this. Imagine our nation was like this. There was a moment when America was at war for many years with, with Vietnam, and, uh, and he ended up having an episode where the neighborhood was in chaos. And everything was moved around, and some buildings were toppled over, and the people were in the wrong places, and there was just chaos in the neighborhood. And they were like, how are we going to react? How are we going to retaliate to this kind of like thing against us? So the neighborhood said, well, you know, maybe we should, we should fight back. And, and then eventually they came to this beautiful conclusion. Why don't we, now, it's interesting. They said, why don't we, we're, we're going to send balloons over our wall. And every balloon is going to have a message. You're loved. You're valued. You're cared for. We want to understand what you're going through. And he tried to fight against our gut that would just want to fight back and retaliate. And he said, no, in our neighborhood, we want to live differently. In our neighborhood, we want to do things differently. And the point, as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about this message, is isn't this kind of God's vision for life when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because in God's neighborhood, in God's space, in God's reality, in God's realm, in God's kingdom, things function the way he desires. And he says, pray that this would take place in your neighborhood on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done is the king's intention played out in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. See, when we say our Father in heaven, your name be hallowed, it's kind of like we're looking up, not because heaven's up, but it's in his posture towards God. But when we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, we're now looking out. We're looking out to our streets and out to our workplaces and out to our families and friends. And that's the heart of this prayer. And so as you begin to pray this prayer, Because part of my heart as we teach through this is not just we learn something, but that we're equipped to pray this prayer, that we're equipped to go so deep into this prayer that it gets deep in us and we get deep in it and it changes us and changes how we live and act. So as you pray this line of this prayer this week, and that's my hope, is that you live deeply in this line this week, I want you to think about praying with kind of three ideas in mind. And I want to wrap up with these three ideas quickly. The first is, We pray this prayer with anticipation because there is a future kingdom and there will be a new creation and Jesus will return one day and he will be a reigning king. So we pray 
with a future kingdom in mind because we stand between two advents, because we look back at the inbreaking of God's kingdom and we look forward at the fullness of God's kingdom and we pray. So when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, we pray in anticipation this joyful fullness, this joyful vision of God's kingdom one day that the range of God's will in all its fullness will take place. So we look in anticipation towards that. N.T. Wright says it like this, that when, one day when heaven and earth finally meet, are finally joined together, and I talked about that last week, how heaven is God's space and earth is our space, and there's a little bit of overlap right now in between the advents, but one day in the fullness of God's new creation, the overlap will be full. Heaven and earth, in a sense, are married together, and then the full reign of Christ. You can read that in Revelation 21. Heaven comes down when God's rule is the only rule. And so when we pray with anticipation, we pray with hope, we pray with courage, we can grow resilience, we can grow strength because we're praying with anticipation. But here's how else we pray, and I think this is, this is probably one of the most disturbing ones for us. We pray with cultivation. I kind of should have used the word excavation because that's what it might feel like. But we pray to cultivate. We make room, we make room for God's kingdom here and now. Just like in a garden, a garden gets cultivated, gets moved around, gets shaken up, gets turned over to make space for what you want to see grow. And so when we pray with cultivation in mind, we're praying to make room in our lives, in our hearts, in our, in our neighborhoods for God's kingdom here and now. So we don't pray for, God's, for the kingdom of God's existence. It already exists, but we pray for the realization of God's kingdom. We don't pray, God, would your kingdom be present? No, we say, God, would your kingdom be near? Would, would we see it realized. And here's the reason why. Because other kingdoms exist. Right? You know that other kingdoms exist? Other kingdoms exist. And even in the soil, when I try and kind of like fix my garden in the spring, I realize, where did all this other stuff come? Like, why is there all this junky weeds in here? Why can't I even get through my soil? Because other things exist besides the vision I have for my garden. And then i got to turn it and cultivate it and, and make room for the, the stuff that I believe is meant for this garden. And sometimes that means cultivating it. Other kingdoms exist in the soil of human culture. Other kingdoms exist in the soil of your heart. So when we pray with cultivation in mind, we're saying, God, make room for your kingdom. Disturb the other kingdoms. Make room for your kingdom in my heart. Disturb the other kingdoms. You know, when, when, when a company um, has been around for 50 or 60 years, sometimes they get into a rut. They get into uh, things that they're like, this is not us. Why are we doing these things? And maybe they hire a new CEO, and, and that new CEO, he or she comes in, and they might notice things about the culture that need to be shaken up. Maybe, you know, in the mail room, the mail room they find, like, apathy. And maybe in the manufacturing section, they find a lack of communication. And maybe in management, there's bad blood. And maybe there's loss of vision in this department. And, and maybe lack of structure or overcomplexity in another department. So he or she comes. And what do they do? They unearth the old kingdoms. They unearth the apathy. They unearth the bad blood. They unearth the lack of communication. They unearth the complexities or the need for structure because they're unearthing old kingdom roots in the soil of that company so they can become what they're always meant to be. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying that God's Holy Spirit, we ask God to loosen the roots of alternate kingdoms at work in our hearts and alternate kingdoms at work in our life and in our neighborhoods alternate systems and ideologies, because that's what they are. 
consumerism is an ideology and materialism is an ideology and militarism is an ideology. And it can, get, it can build into the roots of our lives and our culture. Years ago, I read a book by a guy named Brian Zahn, and he writes a book called Farewell to Mars. Mars is the Greek god for violence. This was a pastor in the States who had an epiphany at a ceremony post 9-11. He was invited to pray for the troops that were going to Iraq. And he gets up to the podium and he starts to pray as he would normally pray like normal Americans would for the military. And all of a sudden, he's, this, this vision comes kind of before his mind. He starts to see the, the fulfillment of his prayer. Like if what I'm praying is really going to happen... And he starts seeing bloodshed. And he starts seeing families torn apart. And he's, and he's so bothered by it. He said, how could I be praying for this to happen? Now, I'm sure it was a tense moment and when national politics are involved. But here he is, a pastor, a follower of Jesus. And he realizes in that moment, I am praying for violence. And he didn't know what to do. And as he started to grow in this and understand this, once he visited in the middle of America somewhere, he visited a military chapel. And he said the roots of alternate kingdoms became so present to him. He walked into this chapel. This, the roof was made with airplane um, fighter jet parts. So the roof of this church was made with fighter jet parts. And the cross at the, the front of the, the church was made with two swords. And he just said back, and it, the epitome of the God of violence all mixed in in the roots of culture and church and state and national politics. He just thought, oh my gosh, how can we make a cross out of swords? That's what can happen in our own hearts, in our society, when the roots of alternate kingdoms take shape. See, it's impossible to pray your kingdom come without becoming aware of political, social, cultural, sexual ideologies. It's impossible because as you pray this prayer, it's a prayer of cultivation. God begins to change. Willard says it breaks up the cultural forces. Breaks up the cultural forces. Here's one person, Craig Keener. He says, this prayer is not for the person satisfied with the treasures of this age, but for those who recognize that the world is not as it should be. So be careful, because when you pray this prayer, it's going to cultivate stuff. It's going to show the alternate kingdoms at work. But it leads to one other piece, and this is a great piece. It's participation, because as we pray this prayer, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, it propels us to participate in God's kingdom. It moves us to act. It moves us to be part of what God is doing. It propels us to participate in the vision of God's kingdom. And see, it starts its prayer, but it moves into participation. It starts on our knees, but it, it, it flows into us walking. It starts maybe in our hearts or in quiet times, but it moves into our neighborhoods. It propels us forward to participate. And we begin to then participate in the way Jesus described the kingdom and the way Jesus demonstrated it. That's what happens when we really pray this prayer. If we believe that God calls us to pray this prayer and that we want this prayer to be fulfilled on earth, in my life, in your life, in my neighborhood, all of a sudden we move to participation. That's the beautiful piece of this prayer. It's not just a spiritual practice. It's a full life practice. And uh, N.T. Wright says that he kind of gives a really cool metaphor. He says, imagine this medical cure 
for this disease that's ravaging people around the world gets found. This medical cure is found and discovered. Well, that's nice. That's like the inbreaking of God's kingdom. Well, what do people do? They take that cure and they spread it so other people can be healed, right? That's kind of like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God breaks in. Jesus announces the good news. Well, that's, is that it? No, we take that and we spread it. Gives another metaphor, like imagine one of the most incredible pieces of music ever written. Well, you don't want to just kind of leave it written in the person's study. No, you take that score, and all of a sudden, you take musicians, and you bring them together, and you build an orchestra, and now you start performing that score all over the world, in every major city of the world, in every pocket of the world, in every rich and poor area of the world, so everyone can hear the score, right? That's what it means to participate in the kingdom of God here on earth. Now, it doesn't mean that the earth will fully look like heaven on, in our time. In between the advents, it will not. I promise you. Don't pray and think it's all going to be perfect. Don't pray and think, oh, exactly like I read in Revelation, the lion will sit with the lamb and there'll be no more tears. That will not happen on this side of eternity. We pray in anticipation, but in this side, in between the advents, we pray for pockets and seasons and neighborhoods and workplaces and families and and homes, and relationships, and churches, and playgrounds, and schools. And if this is not true, then why did Jesus ask us to pray that this would happen on earth as it is in heaven? I think that's part of the heart of this prayer. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week as we wrap this up. Practice this. Pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Every day, let's just pray the Lord's Prayer. Every day, Take this line this week that we've been learning. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Take that line and just live in it. Reflect on it. Take every word and allow God to lead you, to guide you, that you start almost like as a springboard with these words. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let it just be at the tip of your tongue, the tip of your lips. Whisper it throughout the day. Whisper it on a break. Think about it as you're driving. Write it down on pieces of paper. Put it on your screens here on your phone. Help that you would just, that we would allow this theme to just so get so deeply rooted in us and us in it. Amen? That was pretty weak. What do you think? You think are, are you in for that? Yeah, I think that would... Now, here's the thing. Don't be surprised if you really... If you're going to do this, don't be surprised if a revolution doesn't start in your heart. Don't be surprised if over time, I mean, not maybe this week, but if over time, as you're praying this prayer, as you're, as you're living into this prayer, as you're praying for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done, imagine every day for the next three months, you're praying that as you walk into your workplace, you're praying that as you walk into your gym, you're praying that as you walk into your home, you pray that as you walk through your neighborhood. Don't be surprised if a revolution starts to brew up in you and in people around you, because that's the heart of the prayer that God's kingdom would be seen and experienced in our neighborhoods as it is in heaven. Let's stand and pray. And we're going to pray practicing this together because Jesus said, our Father, he invited us as a community to pray this. So this is not just meant for you by yourself. It's not just meant for you in quiet, though that's what's going to happen throughout the week maybe. But we, we start here together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And here's this line. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
God, as we leave this place today, God, do something in us. Grab our attention so deeply, God. Help the weight of these words, the power of these words, the significance of, the, of this petition, God. You're inviting us to petition you for your kingdom and your will, for, for the range of your effective will to be done in us, in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our relationships. So God, we pray that the range of your effective will that the vision of your kingdom would happen on earth, in our neighborhoods, as it is in heaven, in our workplace, as it is in heaven, in our families, as it is in heaven, in our finances, as it is in heaven, in our relationships, as it is in heaven. Oh God, in our marriages, as it is in heaven, in our singleness, as it is in heaven. God, in our companies, as it is in heaven in our manufactured plants as it is in heaven, in our playgrounds, in our schools as it is in heaven, in our thoughts as it is in heaven, God. We pray this, Lord. And we invite the power of your Holy Spirit to be at work as we see this take shape in our own hearts. And may we not be surprised. In fact, may we expect a revolution to begin in our hearts and in our lives and around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.